God didn't give us the Ten Commandments to enslave us, but to enrich us, to make our lives richer, to make our lives better. I'm dealing with the Seventh Commandment today. And boy, if there is a commandment that I would love to skip over and not preach on, it would be this particular commandment. I was visiting with one of my uncles a few years ago, and his son came out to the barn. He's a little guy, and walked into the barn where my uncle and I were talking. He was getting some feed ready for the livestock, and his little boy walked up to him, and he said to him, he says, Daddy, a wise monkey doesn't monkey with another monkey's monkey. And we just broke out laughing, and I remember thinking, Boy, what a great way to talk about the seventh commandment that we're going to talk about this morning. There's a lot of wisdom in that statement that my little great cousin was all about sharing with his daddy and getting what he hoped for, and that was a good laugh from the two of us. You know, Dorothy Sears was a prolific writer, and she was a mystery writer that had a lot of acclaim in her day. But Dorothy Sears, talking about the Ten Commandments, she made a statement in an article I read by her. She says, the Ten Commandments, God's law, are not like stop signs. Stop signs are put up because either the police department or the city council says we need a stop sign there. And depending upon the amount of traffic that we have at that intersection, the fine may be $25, the fine may be $50. If it's a really heavily trafficked area, it may be $100. She says, and time may go where they build a bypass around the city, and they decide the stop sign is no longer necessary, and so they remove it completely. She says, God's law is more like the laws of fire. She says, when fire is contained in its proper place, it gives us energy, it heats our home, it cooks our food. She says, but no matter what you say about fire, if you put your hand in it, you're going to be burned every single time. God's law is like that, she said. If you violate it, you're going to be burned every single time. And the challenge with preaching on the seventh commandment is just simply this. When I look in this room, maybe except for some children that are in here, there's not a one of us that have not broken this commandment in some way according to Jesus. There are some that have told me I'm not guilty. I've never, never in my life have I violated my marriage covenant with my wife you know, I've always been faithful, but Jesus says to look at a woman with lust or for a woman to look at a man with lust, they've already committed adultery in their own mind. It's interesting, sometimes when I'm around people who don't know that I'm a pastor or maybe not even know that I'm a Christian, it's interesting that when a good-looking woman walks by who's shapely, Sometimes a man will look at me on a plane or a man will look at me and say, what do you think about that? And if you're a kid in high school and you're standing at your locker and a really good-looking girl comes walking by, you go, check that out. Well, that, that is not a that. She's a she. She belongs to God. And what we do is we, we objectify her. We take away her dignity by talking about certain parts of her anatomy and rating it on a numerical scale. This seventh commandment 
has so much more to do with our hearts than it does with just our actions because always our actions follow our thoughts or follow our hearts. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, as we continue in this series, God wants to enrich our lives by telling us this, you must not commit adultery. You must not commit adultery. Say it with me. You must not commit adultery. And if Becky and I were sitting on the front porch on a nice summer day and a beautiful woman walked by and I said, check that out, she would look at me and say, do you want to die now or die later? Okay? Then she would give me a lecture about that being a human being, a woman created in the image of God. There would be no, you can look but don't touch. It would be all about appreciating her femininity and who she is. A Jewish rabbi was telling the story of how God created men and women, and when he gave this seventh commandment, the angels were shocked, and they said, God, that's an unrealistic commandment. Even the animals that you've made, they have numerous sexual partners. They're not monogamous, and God says to them, but I created human beings just a little lower than you that they might show and reveal the glory of God. And in one man committing his life to one woman, that they reveal something about who I am. Therefore, men and women are more than animals, the rabbi goes on to teach. They are images of God. And isn't that what the Bible teaches us that we are created in the image of God, or you might say that you're an icon of God. An icon means a representation God's stamp is upon you. So look at your neighbor this morning, if you know them, and say, either you're a beautiful icon or you're a handsome icon. Would you do that right now? Some of you are giggling like little teenagers, you know. <laughs> It's not a time to flirt or kiss your wife. It's okay if you do, but it's just this. You're an icon of God. You're not a that. You're somebody created in the image of God. The rabbi goes on to say, if human beings, if human beings cannot be, listen, if human beings cannot be expected to be faithful to one another, then how can they ever reveal my love, my trustworthiness, and my fidelity to them. You see, this commandment is about so much more than what the world would make it. I decided in praying, actually I decided yesterday, just praying over the message and realized I needed to say a word to those of you in our congregation and in our online congregation that you're single. Because I know the temptations and the struggles. Before I married Becky, I traveled as a single man, flying to different places and speaking. I know the temptations that are there. But if I can just share with you one word that a friend of mine who is a single pastor, never been married, straight as an arrow, but he said to me, he says, whenever a single person ever asks you, how can you expect me to be sexually pure as the Bible teaches in a modern world like we live in? He says, give them this one word answer, Jesus. Jesus, a single man who taught us how to love and forgive and to live 
as a single man. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise just for Jesus as an example to us? Henry taught me a lot about singleness. Jonathan Grant has argued in a book where he has tried to help the church come to terms with some of the morality changes that have happened so quickly. He says that the change that has happened in our society can be saw in one generation in five stages. That number one was the separation of sex from procreation through contraception. The separation of sex from marriage with the rise of cohabitation. The separation of sex from partnership through recreational and temporary sex. And next, the separation of sex from another person through the explosion of online pornography. And finally, the separation of sex from our own bodies through questioning the creative order that God created us as male and female. And I have lived long enough to see all five of those stages rapidly progress through our society where sex has become so easy, so individualistic, and so up to your own interpretation that currently in the Western world, we have jettisoned not only what the Bible teaches us, most importantly, but what thousands of years of wisdom have taught us about men and women and family and children and sex and we have rebelled against God's word to such a way that we've decided our idea is better than God's idea. And friend, there is no one that will ever have a better idea than what God had for you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that is a critical component to understanding. So let me quickly give you just three words about marriage that I think will help us understand marriage as we look at this concept of thou shalt not commit adultery or this law, this commandment that's meant to enrich you and not to enslave you. In other words, what God is saying by thou shalt not commit adultery is God wants you to have a joyful marriage. God wants you to have a happy marriage. God wants you to have a fulfilling marriage. God wants you to have a fruitful marriage. That's what this commandment is all about. It's all about your joy, your happiness, your peace. It is all about glorifying God through a loving, lifelong, monogamous relationship between one man and one woman. The first word I want to give you is complementary. Complementary. That word explains everything we need to know about marriage. Man and woman uniquely fit together as compliments. Becky and I are better together than we are apart. It's not that she fulfills me or I fulfill her. The best marriages are made of two fulfilled people in Christ. Jesus was a fulfilled person. My friend Henry, who is a pastor, a single pastor, is just a couple years older than I am. He is a fulfilled man. Two fulfilled people, two happy people, two joyful people make a happy marriage. Two sad people make a miserable marriage. One happy person and one sad person will make a very miserable marriage. So you find your fulfillment in Christ. You're a new creation. Your sins are forgiven. The Bible says all things have passed away. But we uniquely, I want you to get that phrase, we uniquely fit together. The Bible says at the beginning, as Adam looked out over all of creation and the animals, and they came to him to be named by him, Adam noticed something. 
Elephants, male elephants had female elephants. Male giraffes had female giraffes. Male water buffaloes had female water buffaloes. And as he watched all of these animals, he saw there was no one compatible for him. And when he understood that truth and he sensed the loneliness of that, God put him into a deep sleep. And let me read you what God did. Matter of fact, stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord as we go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. So as Adam had looked at everything, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. Read that line with me. But still, there was no helper just right for him. If you're married or you're engaged, look at the person, look at your wife or husband and say, you are just right for me. Now you ought to say, come on, victory. I hope pastor finishes in a hurry this morning. You're just right for me. But look what God did. So the Lord God calls the man to fall into a deep sleep. When the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. And she will be called woman, Isha, because she was taken from man, Ish. Isha, because she was taken from Ish. This explains why a man leaves his mother and father and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. And now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. They felt no need to cover up. They felt no need to hide from God or to hide from one another. One of my friends, actually one of my professors, told me the story of his wife going to the beach and Another Christian lady said to her, I says, can't believe you went to the beach and exposed yourself like that. She said, well, I had on a modest bathing suit. She goes, what if Jesus had come while you were on that beach? She says, what if Jesus comes while you were in the bathtub? <laughs> Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would touch our hearts this morning and open our minds and help us to see truths we've never seen before and to understand them and apply them, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When I read this passage, I see there's complete complementarity in how the woman was formed, in the name she was given, in the shape she was given, and how that she was the only suitable helpmate for him. Literally, this was a marriage made in heaven. Literally, this was a marriage where one was made for the other, made together. And sometimes when people want to talk to me about marriage and divorce or the different forms of sexuality today, and I have those conversations more often than you would suspect, where people just want to know, what's the logic when there's so many divorces? What's the logic today when there's so much contraception? What's the logic today for a monogamous, lifelong relationship between 
a husband and a wife, between a man and a woman. And I always take them to this passage because this passage gives us the moral exclusivity and the moral high ground for why marriage is God's plan for a man and a woman. And not only the moral logic for exclusivity found here, but according to the Bible as image bearers, God commands them to have other little image bearers. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 with me. So God created human beings in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, and then God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it, or rule it, or manage it, be stewards of it. In other words, I want you to have little image bearers. I want you to reproduce people in my own image. Now stop and think for just a moment about these two passages that we had read. If God had created another man for Adam, there would have been no complementarity there because they would have been unable to create another image bearer. They would have been unable to fulfill this command. And so what we see in God's definition and in the establishment of marriage is not only God's love for human beings, but God's love for the children that we bring into the world. And that's my second word I want to speak to you about when it comes to marriage, and that's the word children. There's not only complementarity there, but God wants children from our marriages. In the book of Malachi, chapter 2 and verse 13, God speaking to his people says, here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with tears. You're weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. And you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? And there have been times where people have come to me and they've said, I've tried all that I've done, but why doesn't God accept? Why isn't God blessing me? Why isn't God somehow or another taking note of what I'm doing for him? We gave this morning not to earn anything from God. We gave because we're created in the image of God. We come to church to worship, not trying to gain any favor with God. We're in the middle of a 40-day fast here at Woodland, not because we're trying to gain favor with God. We found favor with the Lord before we ever gave our hearts to Him. Can you say amen to that? God loved us. He gave us His Son, Jesus, at Calvary. God loves you. He delights in you. But the people are saying, why? What's wrong? Well, the Lord answers their question. I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows, circle that word in your outline, your vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and in spirit, or in other words, through the act of consummation, the sexual act of consummation. In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. Say it with me. Godly children from your union. Say it again. Godly children from your union. That's what God wants from our marriages. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. God says very simply in this passage of Scripture, there are two things that ratify, make valid your marriage. Number one, it's your marriage vow. 
It's the sacred oath that you take and make to one another. Couples ask me often, can I write my marriage vows? And I go, you can write what you'd like for one another. You need to give it to me to preview so we know that it's scriptural and it's in line with the word. But when it comes to the actual vows, I will be doing the vows because these vows are important and I explain to them why. And so often couples will write things. Becky and I did this to one another. Even though we still had the marriage vows, I keep those close by me. In my marriage vows, I pledge to be faithful to Becky, not only with my body, but with my mind as well. I want no other woman in my heart but Becky. And those words that you speak, words have power. Words heal, words kill. Words build up, words destroy. And our vows bind us to God and bind us to one another. The second thing is the sexual act of consummation of the marriage. You may not know this, but the kiss is actually a symbol of the sexual act in a marriage. The kiss is just a symbol of what's yet to come because the kiss represents the exclusivity of the vows they've made to one another. And since sex is supposed to be private between a man and a woman, the kiss is that public acknowledgement to one another and to the family and the friends that are there. It's kind of like the official stand-in. But what God says that unless there's a medical reason, unless there's something physically wrong with you, it's not up for you to decide or me to decide. God expects children. Children are not the only reason for sex. Song of Solomon makes that very clear. The book of Proverbs makes that very clear. Sex is also meant to be pleasurable and to bring joy and to bring a couple closer together. But that's not the purpose of this message this morning. I preached often on that as your pastor here. I will preach on it again. But the point that I want to make here is that God expects children from a marriage unless there is a physical reason that you cannot have children. And the received wisdom from thousands of years of human existence and on top of that of the Bible is one of the reasons for marriage, a marriage exclusively committed to one another, is for the protection of our children. Healthy marriages produce healthy children, and that's why God calls us to that. And there's a third word I'd like us to look at this morning, and it's the church. It's the church. It's what marriages do. It's not only complementarity, it's not only children, but it's the church. Becky and I were talking about that this week and how that marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Jesus. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. And further, submit to one another. Circle that in your outline. Because as Becky said to me this week, she says, Honey, that word submit has been used by so many men to beat up women with and to try to subjugate and dominate women. You need to take a little extra care to be sure that everyone understands what that really means. So in obedience to the Holy Spirit and the sometimes fourth member of the Trinity, my wife, I want to share with you the Bible says, submit to one another. So look at your wife this morning and say, honey, I want to submit to you as well. Would you do that? Becky, I fear for my life. I want to submit to you as well. <laughs> I'm teasing. I love it. Best thing ever happened to me outside of Jesus was Becky. 
Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's not being a doormat. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church, and as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Now, listen to me carefully. I've been doing this almost 50 years. I've had this conversation so many, many times with women, both Christian women and women who have not given their lives to Jesus yet. And when I describe how Christ loves the church, every single time every woman has told me, I would love a man like that. I would gladly submit to a man like that. See, husbands, when the more we become like Jesus, the more attractive we become to our wives. The more we become like Jesus, the more attractive that we become to, to them because they can trust us, because they know what we want is their best and their good. I live my life working for Becky's best, for Becky's good. As I shared in the prayer service last night, a part of my ministry is being sure that we stand together before the Lord, spotless and pure, having lived a joyful life together. Part of my ministry as a pastor is being sure that I lead this congregation and those who will follow my leadership in a way that we stand spotless before Christ. You say, Pastor, but doesn't the blood of Jesus do that? Yes, but every single day we are supposed to be working and disciplining ourselves to become more like Jesus. Can you say amen to that? So look at the rest of this passage I want to read to you. <clears throat> As the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two, <clears throat> and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. This is not just about two people. This is not just about Chuck and Nan. This is not just about Fred and Diane loving and supporting one another. This is all about our witness to the world. For when husbands love their wives, or requite Christ loves the church, and wives submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, there is a beautiful and powerful and unrefutable witness that takes place. Now let me circle back for just a moment. I told you I've lived long enough to see all five of those things that Jonathan Grant wrote about in his book of how sex has deteriorated and degenerated in our society. You can pin that to the day when men and women begin to think they had a better idea than God. And now people look and they say, marriage doesn't even work for Christians. How in the world can we expect to be faithful to this commandment? Friends, frequently God writes in the Bible about the remnant. And only seven, excuse me, 18% of the families in America may be the traditional nuclear family. But that remnant, if they submit their marriages and their families to Christ, they can be the key to a revelation of who Jesus is to a society that needs Jesus Christ more than ever. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? Your marriage is a sermon. 
You see, when a man loves, when a man cherishes, when a man leads and sacrifices for his wife as Christ did, and when a woman respects and submits to her husband as the church does to Christ, the Holy Spirit bears witness to that marriage and bears witness in your community and your subdivision. So what do we do with this? Let's take a quick look at our growth work. Number one, love begins with priorities. Anything that's important, we have to prioritize. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, we love each other because he loved us first. Don't think that because I love my wife passionately that somehow or another I'm an exceptional man. That should be the norm in the church that men love their wives passionately. But the reason we can love our wives passionately is because Christ loved us first. It should be the norm that women love their husbands as Christ loved us because women are loved by Christ first. Genesis 2 and verse 24 shows me my pride. Priority, Dennis shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's the principle of leaving and cleaving. And I like that principle very much. We leave and we cleave to one another. We leave our families of origin. The second thing that we would do in our growth work is we begin to move towards each other daily. What are we doing to grow in our marriage? What are we doing to grow in our life? How are we moving more and more to this image of where we bear the image of God, we fulfill one another, and in God's plan, we complement one another. We're better together than we are apart. I'm a much, much better man because of Becky. I believe Becky would tell you she's a much better woman because of me. I believe that any healthy married couple would tell you that. So how do we move closer together? How do we move closer to being godly parents? And how do we move closer to our marriages being a witness? Well, look at this, this next passage. The cleaving part. Prioritizing time for Becky every single day. When I was traveling for 12 years, when our children were small, and many times Becky couldn't be with me, one of our biggest expenses, talk about a financial transaction, one of our biggest expenses, because there were no iPhones in the 90s, there were no iPhones in the late 80s, so there was no FaceTime, but one of our biggest expenses that we built into our budget was so that I could call home and talk to her and pray with her and pray with our kids, sing a song with our kids, tell them a story wherever I was at in the world. It didn't matter if it was South America or Africa. It didn't matter if it was you, wherever I was at to be able to move a little closer to each other. It's the cleaving part. It's saying, I refuse to let go. I was walking through the children's ministry wing not too long ago, and a little child, one of your little munchkins back there, grabbed hold of my leg, and, was, and, and I tousled his hair. We played and talked together. He wouldn't let go, so I'm walking like this, dragging this child. I was leaving, and he was cleaving. Do you see what I'm saying? We're moving closer to one another. Ephesians 5 and verse 29, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. When I do good for Becky or Becky does good for me, when you do good for your wife or she does good for you, you're feeding and caring for your own self. 
Number three, stay pure in this world. Do not be deceived by this world. The innocence that you find and the purity that you find in Christ is amazing. Look at Genesis 2 and verse 25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now bear with me for just a moment. In our society, we have decided not to talk about our finances with one another, not to talk about our pain with one another, not to talk about some of the deepest issues of our life, but we go on Facebook and we paint a picture of how we want to look or Instagram of how we want to look. But what are the things we do in our society through porn, through our conversation, through entertainment, is we expose our genitals. And the genitals are the most sensitive parts of our bodies and the most private parts of our bodies. And the things that we should talk about with one another, the things that we should engage one another with, we don't talk about. And the things that we should keep covered, we don't. But in marriage, that that is the most sensitive and the most private and the most sacred, we are able to share with one another without any shame. Genesis 2.25, Now the man and his wife were both naked but they felt no shame. Friends, we live in a society that I would be surprised, those of you that have given your children a phone, a smartphone, while they're still eight or nine or 10 years old, unless you have really, really good protection of that phone, that they have not been exposed to some sort of nudity, some sort of pornography on their phones. Sometimes parents come to me and say, when would you give your child a smartphone? I said, we didn't give our children a smartphone until they graduated from high school. We did our best to protect. We knew they weren't protected from it because of school and everything else. But their minds are being formed. Their minds are being shaped. And today, it is no longer about just a centerfold from a Playboy magazine. It's some of the most perverse things that you can imagine. And our children's minds are being twisted. And our children's minds are being stimulated with pleasurable images and moving images. Sometimes men and women both have said to me, Pastor, because of porn, I'm no longer to have, able to have sexual intimacy with my wife or with my husband without those images flooding my mind. Do we not understand the world has never had a better idea than God? The world wants to profit off of your destruction. God gave his son to be sacrificed for your sins and my sins in order not that we could be enslaved, but our lives could be made rich in Christ in every single way. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? So Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And friends, a lion doesn't roar when he's hunting. A lion roars after he's made his kill. He crouches. He slinks. He hides. He camouflages and then he jumps on the unsuspecting and goes for the jugular. 
understand the kind of world we live in. So I want you to stand with me this morning as we prepare our hearts to pray. And the next section of this message, this is going to be epic. I believe by the work and the grace of God that this moment right now you're going to remember. It's going to be epic. Because you are going to read with me the word of the Lord. Because the most powerful part of this message is not my thoughts, but it's God's word and what he says about the seventh commandment. So I want to speak to the first group of people in our congregation and online this morning as well. If you're tempted, if you're tempted, if you find yourself being drawn If you find yourself being enticed to unfaithfulness, to infidelity, if as a single person you find yourself being drawn, people are saying it's only natural. It's only natural. Have as many partners as you want. If you feel yourself being enticed, and the way you know this is if you found yourself lingering on those thoughts, And those thoughts are bringing you pleasure. And right now, the Holy Spirit is touching your heart and convicting you. This is what the Word of the Lord says. Let me read it first, and then we'll read it together. Lamentations 3 and verse 22. God would say to those that are being tempted, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. And the Lord is good to those who search for him. Would you read this with me? Let's begin at verse 22. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend upon him, to those who search for him. So what does it mean? Stay away from the adulterous woman. Stay away from the seductive man. Stop letting your thoughts linger there. Let the fountains of your youth be blessed according to the scriptures. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in the husband of your youth. And build that marriage to the glory of God. As a matter of fact, I love what the Song of Solomon says. The Song of Solomon says, describes married love as like getting drunk on new wine. Some of you need to go home and just get drunk on each other. Don't get drunk on the wine of iniquity, but get drunk on the love that God has blessed your life with. Somebody ought to say, come on, victory right there. There's a few of you. rest of you, I will pray with you after service. You need prayer. Secondly, if you've strayed, if you've strayed, And you're part of this church, you're part of this congregation, you're online. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the person who's been deceived. You've listened to the lies of the world, you've listened to the lies of the enemy. 
But I'm also thinking of the person that you're being deceitful. You know what God's Word says, but you come to church and you show up here for an hour, hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning, and you think that's okay with God. And nobody knows. God knows. So this morning, I want you to listen to this passage, and then we're going to read it together, all together, so no one feels like they're being singled out. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Now he's writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't think you can serve God and serve the devil at the same time. As Bob Dylan sang in the 80s, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're never going to be your own God. You're going to serve somebody. So let's read this passage out loud together. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you die to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And with Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And then finally, if you're grieved, and I'm thinking here of the person in our congregation that you sent. You've been unfaithful to your marriage vows, whether in your mind. Remember I said at the beginning of this message, everyone's guilty of this. We linger on thoughts in our minds, or maybe we've been physically unfaithful, and yet you're broken, you're repentant. Really what you'd like to do, nothing more right now, is just come and lay prostrate at the feet of the cross. I say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I am so sorry. So if you're broken this morning, God says, I dwell with those of a humble and a contrite or crushed, broken spirit. God also says that for those that are contrite and broken, that he will lift us up. And the reason we're reading these passages together is because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as you hear these scriptures, as you read these scriptures, and you hear yourself reading it, faith is rising up within you. 
So if that's you, you hate what your life has become, you hate what you've done, I want you to read the words of Psalms 130 and verse 1. Let me read it and then we'll read it together. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord, and pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Now, before you read that, I want to tell you a story that it may be apocryphal, I don't know, but its truth is written in the scripture. A man who carried shame for many years confessed his sin of having been unfaithful to his wife and unfaithful to God, and he could never seem to get rid of the burden about that. There was a lady in his congregation, in their congregation where he worshiped at, that she just seemed to always get answers to prayer. So he went to her one day and said, I have something on my heart that I've just not been able to get any peace from God about. Would you pray for me? Would you just see if God has an answer for me? And the lady cheerfully looked at him and said, sure, I'll pray for you. So the next Sunday when he came to church, she walked up to him and she said, you know, it's the strangest thing. I was praying for you this week. And it's like the Lord said to me, tell him, I have no clue what he's talking about. God forgives our sins and he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. Can you say amen to that? If God kept a record of my sins, I couldn't stand. So I want us to read this together. And if you're broken, I want you to let these words go into the very marrow of your spirit. Psalms 30, 130 and verse 1. Put that up on the screen, please. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sin, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the single person this morning. Jesus is the answer. Thank you for those of us that are married, who want to be married, that God, as spouses, we complement one another. We bring out the best. Lord, thank you that we can bring forth little icons, children. And thank you, Lord, for showing us that our marriages are the most powerful witness that we have to God's amazing love for his church. Now, I thank you for having heard our prayers through these three passages of Scripture. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending us forth from this place to all who have prayed these verses sincerely, pure and clean and forgiven, empowered and enabled to live a rich and amazing life in you. Now, while every head is bowed, if you've wondered from your faith commitment or if you have never given your heart to Jesus and today you'd like to ask him into your heart, would you pray this prayer with me? Just simply say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for taking my sins 
upon yourself. Thank you for cleansing me by your blood. And thank you that as I put my faith and trust in you, God, you give me the right to become your child. So as much as I know how, I give my heart and life to you today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Well, may the Lord bless your marriages. May your fountains of love overflow. May your home be rich in the grace and love of God. May your children rise up one day and bless God for having given them godly parents to grow up with. And may your children go forth and have dominion in the earth. God bless you. Consider yourselves dismissed today. Amen.